Welcome to The Dow Factor. I'm your host, Lisa Yu. I'm a tech investor, entrepreneur, and speaker that got into crypto in 2017. This podcast will cover crypto, DAOs, Web3 communities, and the key leaders behind them. For those who are new to DAOs, a DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization that's taking the world by storm. Today, I'm super excited to introduce to you our guest, Kelly Moran, founder of C3 Collective, made for creators, for collectors, and for culture. Their mission is to extend accessibility and drive opportunity in the new creator economy. They offer end-to-end launch support for creators interested in entering Web3 while providing unique, sustainable utility to collectors. First of all, Kelly, thank you for being on our podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yes. What would you say you're most passionate about and what motivates you to wake up every day? Oh man, already a big loaded question and I am overwhelmed with passion in the space. So, you know, at the most fundamental level and what's really played out when kind of left to my own devices in the space is the actual pursuit of doing something for someone else as a profession and take essentially establishing a model of social capitalism, if you will, and distributing value across value chains as this technology offers. So I floundered in, I got every dream job I ever wanted as soon, way faster than I thought I would. And then I would get there and not like it. I I would feel unfulfilled. Um, I I got a private equity job right out of getting out of the military with no experience in private equity. Oh, you're a former veteran. Thank you for your service. I am. Yeah. yeah. Uh, But all of those, so kind of, you know, speaks to my perspective and my motivations in, in professions from the very beginning, but I was pretty lost, honestly, in, in what fulfilled me. And it wasn't that I didn't like taking direction. It wasn't that I really wanted to be an entrepreneur. It was, it was very much the kind of work I was doing. And I can say that from a passion standpoint, and when I give classes or when I'm taught, like, I always get the response that my passion like comes across very heavily in, in how I talk about the space. Yes. And that's because of, you know, I, this broader space in general, I feel like I need to know like as much as I can to a def- to a fault. Mm-hmm. And that's because I'm passionate about what the whole space offers. Um, as you know, we talk about NFTs and DAOs and DeFi, they all have to work together. And it's that, from a technical perspective and from a human perspective, mm-hmm. making that work makes me get up every morning. Wow. What would you say are some of the highlights? Like what makes DeFi, NFTs, and DAOs so great? Oh, I would say there's a lot that makes it great and a lot that makes it not for everyone. You hear too many success stories. I was just talking about this on a space. Too many success stories. And so if you're struggling, you feel like you you're the only one when really everyone is struggling. So um, mm-hmm. there's a lot, there's a lot of tough times and you do have to like pain to a certain extent. And I, I am a big fan of pain. Apparently um, what I like the most besides how hard it is and how many problems there are to solve. Cause I just feed off of that. Yeah. You're a problem solver. Putting out dumpster fires is like what I've done professionally before this and, and what I was the best at. And I think that what, you know, this offers for the these creatives and and that's if we're talking about you know just the creator economy which is where most of the experimenting is going on but it affects every industry and and that's what's most exciting is that the work we're doing now not only you know kind of brought to light passions inside myself that I didn't even know existed in the creative realm but also are you know tracking to disrupt every industry, right? The work we're doing from a technical perspective. Centralize everything, tokenize everything. <laughs> yeah, we're a long way from that, but yeah. it, everything will be token. Like I, I firmly agree that you will at any point be able to know the real-time value of everything that you own. Yes. Including things more, things that aren't as tangible, which is kind of crazy. Um, identity, obviously you don't value identity, but that's something you own. Like owning the data. Yes. And I mean, that's owning the data is really, I think the first step and what makes people once 
really exciting. It's mm-hmm. also a huge problem to solve. But what's really interesting about the owning the data element is data is to some extent the only asset I would say that has everyone can agree right now has digitally native utility, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what the community behind it, it doesn't matter where it came from, if it's mm-hmm. if it's real, it doesn't matter. It in a digital context has utility. People will pay insane amount for it. Mm-hmm. Whoever has the most wins. Mm-hmm. It is liquid. It's liquid gold in the sense that yes. it is value, right? Like that's how we see it. And people can very easily get to that. So not only from an adoption standpoint, teaching standpoint, is it important, but from a, what is going to lead this space um, from a example standpoint and from a impetus standpoint, push us in that direction as we demand certain things is data. So that's, that's really at the, at the core and the heart and a huge part of how we, you know, how you do distribute that value across the, these supply chains or value chains, whatever you want to, you know, however, whatever industry you're in and however, whatever perspective you come from, it's, it's the same, the same idea. Mm-hmm. No, I love that. What inspired you to start the C3 Collective? Yeah, great question. The, my inspiration really, the question is really my inspiration starting Fateful Youth, which is the lead project right now in the C3 Collective, because that directly resulted in the collective and the partnership yeah. that we made very early on. So the collective was very much a, hey, we have we have to brand a partnership, and I can talk a little bit more about that in a, in a bit. But so it was very much the result and the result of my time running this project in the mm-hmm. industry, and yeah. how how easy I found it was to, okay, well, if I'm already doing this and if these people are already doing this, why wouldn't we do it for others who can't or won't and aren't going to when the incremental work on our end is a fraction of what it would be for them. So it was very much a result of, of what I was already doing. And so my inspiration, if we're talking to that specifically, if you had told me a year ago, actually, I quit my job a year and two days ago. And oh, congrats. Yeah. <laughs> so that's it's pretty crazy to think that it's already been a year since I walked out. And the I I quit with no nothing on the back end, like to be a full-time D Gen, right? Which yeah. was a position I had never been in because that's a very selfish, even though I didn't have selfish intentions. It's not I wasn't doing anything productive for society, for anyone else nothing. And and that was the biggest problem. It wasn't about, you know, money or am I going to have a job? That didn't matter. It was why I was initially unhappy and, and searching for, to kind of find myself was that, that surface level, just make money type, like all, all my purpose was. Mm-hmm. And so what was really incredible about it though, is it reset me to baseline in terms of like, what do I want to do when I grow up? <laughs> and what, right. And that's the best thing I love. Like offering people. And because what I learned was everything I thought I wanted was completely wrong. Right. Cause once and, you get there, you're like, wait a second, it's not aligned with like my values. Yeah. Like, why didn't I like, why didn't I like these jobs? Why was I unhappy? You know, all these questions that I had, that had plagued me for years and years and years. And what I considered a failure on my part, mm. um, whether like a personal professional, you know, things that were broken in me that I needed to fix to conform to what I thought and what everyone else thought was were incredible opportunities. What I realized going from, you know, the financial industry or, and these more tech tech roles. And if you had told me that when left to my own devices, I would end up effectively on day-to-day being a community manager in the fashion industry, I would have laughed you off a bridge. Like I actually, <laughs> I actually would have laughed you off a bridge and I wouldn't have believed it. When you think about inspiration, what, when I first kind of started, you know, grasped onto something and started running at it was, was Fateful Youth Project. Yeah, which tell is me a, more about that. Yeah, I can, I can just say a few words on that because that's pretty powerful in terms of what inspired me because of how ambitious it was. Mm-hmm. And that project was essentially, so at the time, so it was a, it was the first PFP portrait photography collection mm-hmm. that essentially introduced human generated scarcity rather than computer generated scarcity. So instead of an algorithm running through a bunch of traits and producing this value hierarchy based on rarity, we did that with real people. And instead of the computer, it was stylists 
and makeup artists and VFX artists. And there were four teams and they like essentially had to have strategies. Like, did they want to produce the most looks in this collection and have the most presence in terms of like value? Or did they spend more time on less looks mm-hmm. and have less to sell? But would the value be higher? Right. And then from quantity a, versus quality, right? Yeah. And and we actually tied them into at the contract level to each NFT of a look they produced, right? Because they shouldn't all be grouped into a basket and then we just pay the stylist over time because they're they're not their looks, they should be paid for what they produce. Yeah. And the value that whatever the community and whatever the consumers think is valuable, because it's also a data thing, right? Like what what do people like, what don't they? And so we, if you go on like OpenSea and look up all the traits, and it's actually people's names, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And and you can click and then see all the looks by those names. And we, so like bringing them into the fold, that lo- like, that is such an underserved industry, I realized oh, yeah. at the time. I mean, giving them credit for being a contributor is not just one brand name label. Yeah. yeah, they didn't even know what, well, they wouldn't even use a credit card to rent their looks. I, we were dealing in cash. And so that's wow. from a technical perspective, that's where we we're sure. at. From I mean, a, they're, they're stuck in web one. <laughs> oh no, actually. And that's when I, so this is when I started getting inspired. Like my inspiration is just like ramping at this point. Uh-huh. And cause I, I wouldn't have gone after the fashion industry. I didn't know anything about it. My, my friends would still laugh you off a bridge. <laughs> How like Kelly works in the fashion industry. She's like yeah. a thought leader in the fashion industry. It's turned fashion tech. How underserved it was. And I was realizing and what a greenfield opportunity there was not only from a monetary perspective and how much we could give back and how much we could funnel back into the hands of these stylists and the hands of the players in this ecosystem, mm. but also from a opportunity standpoint in, in ways in which we could take it, it was a completely greenfield. No yeah. one was doing even close. So we, you know, got over our heads, I'll say, in, in terms of like, let's just do everything that's never been done before at one time. So simultaneous dual train drop on Solana and Ethereum. Let's do it. <laughs> Which we did. And, you know, this human generated scarcity, let's do it. People are still spending two ETH on pictures of poop, but you know what? They'll come around. Let's do it. Um, you know, have a 70 person two day shoot. Let's do it. So we kind of went all in and that kind of shows like seven person two day photo shoot. Oh yeah. With the scan truck and this, the scan truck was on site. Oh, so wow. I can talk a little bit about them, but I mean, they, they only show up to like movies and um, like we had to pull, we actually had a paper sign so that they could come off the set of Marvel to come on the weekend. Cause it was a weekend shoot crazy. to spend the weekend on site. Like, cause each look had to be scanned right after the photo was taken. Right. So we have the scans and over time we can render them. Cause that was to really, drive the drive home the utility and you know put this more forward leaning than just about the art right we're actually taking steps in the metaverse and the scan trick was super into you know they wanted to explore the space they got asked all the time and that led to a whole other thing but i think that that really captures my inspiration pretty well because the the passion which i pursued it and how hard i ran at what you know i now know were far too many complicated things for people to to take in at one time is is just a you know really speaks to to my inspiration and how inspired I am by these creatives and their plight essentially to to get the proper recognition that they deserve and then I realized how how bad it was from the sense of like actually at the same time Nike was buying artifact right around the same time when we're releasing and it was known that fashion and e-com and the opportunity there and the big players were spending a lot of money doing really smart things, moving into the ecosystem. And I'm sitting there watching physical fashion designers, everyone else still dealing in cash. Right. And There's so a you, gap in the market. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, absolutely, I, I don't think there's, it's hard to think of an artistic medium that's bigger because of the value prop of fashion on the other side. Of course. It's how we, how we express ourselves. We have to wear clothing um, and we kind of want to rotate. Art, we give utility to, right? Community, um, we just pile it on and it's awesome. And it's brought so many incredible people together, but not the whole world is going to, everyone says art is the utility. Okay, that is only going to take you so yeah, far. I mean, and- 
people are going to collect like one piece of art for the rest of the year, but fashion is art. It's, it's art that you wear on your body. There's a more frequency of transaction that happens in that industry compared to the art industry. Yep. No, absolutely. And music and fashion have, will have digitally native utility. Oh, I a hundred percent agree. I interviewed a music DAO called New Oh, City. awesome. You're That's doing cool. music stuff too. Right? I am. Not yeah. Super yeah. Relevant. I think I we talked about market strategy for a bunch of token launches. So yes, yeah, I am busy. That's the, <laughs> I'm, I'm obsessed, but I have to focus on fashion for now. And so that was what I realized. I was like, we're going to end up like these, these fashion designers we're preaching all this stuff about what's going to be possible for them, but it's yeah. not going to be possible. They can't build brand presence. Right. So that was, if they don't build brand presence, then we're going to end up actually in a worse from a commercial and monopoly and just, I guess, how our, our views and um, what we're advertised, it's going to be worse than a normal everyday life right. because they're operating right now and getting leaps and bounds ahead of this industry who's still dealing in cash and thinks that this is a scam. Right. So that really scared me and got me motivated and passionate about, about running at really enabling fashion designers, physical fashion designers, regardless of notoriety, enabling them to build brand presence in a digitally native environment with like articles of clothing or lines or what, what have you that, that have digitally native utility. So that was, that was really my big, is the big passion. And that's like the, the goal of Fateful Youth is kind of where Fateful Youth ends. So there's like the photos and the, the avatars and we're doing metaverse integrations. And that's like the proof of concept really mm-hmm. for the work stream that we're offering, that will be a platform that we're offering to physical fashion designers. Yeah. So that's where it ends. And now it's gotten to the point where that, like we, I'm essentially trying to run at the fashion use case because from a technical perspective, we have all the capability. Sure. It's just about, you know, funding. We haven't sold or we're not, we haven't raised funds to build this platform essentially. And so that's kind of where we're vectoring, but to bring it back to passions, like that's kind of fateful youth. And someone said what they say, it's a, this isn't a project. This is my life struggle. That pretty (laughs) well captures, like, it's like what I'm passionate about. It's what it's, it's not, I'm not here because it's fun. A lot of times it's really fun, but a lot of other times it's, a huge struggle that has to be overcome and it's work it, it's the, oh, grind. the daily grind it's 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 endless and but it's just because it's so exciting right and i'm so yeah. inspired by the space so now that you've graduated right from faithful youth to the c3 collective what is the gap that you're trying to solve in the creator economy and kind of like where do you see um What's, is it hard to convince the people in the industry? Cause there's a lot of education I imagine that needs to happen first. Oh, absolutely. So C3 and just to kind of quickly go into the backstory, essentially from the very early, I'm all about efficiency and I was very involved in this. I'll say it, it was a failed PFP project called Metavoicers because their only utility was charity and for better or for worse, it sucks, but Honestly, in the NFT space, people don't care. Either their projects are doing some charitable thing. They don't, charity cannot be the only utility. It will not be successful. You can build it in. Like we have actually a charity written into our contract. Like a percentage goes to charity might be a better model. Yes, absolutely. Um, but I noticed that the, you know, you invest in people and I noticed the leader or the guy that took over was good. And I didn't know how good at the time. I didn't know he was a virtual architect. I didn't know any of this about him. So, but I I, I noticed he was good. And yeah. I essentially offered him, I knew he knew how to build a Discord. They had a Discord. So I pitched, hey, can we just merge together? We're very different projects, but from a value perspective, very the same. Oh, yeah. And the that, sum of the two is greater than the parts for sure. Exactly. And that, so that really brings out what C3 ended up being because we did that partnership. We had to brand it. We couldn't send Amazing. invites to FYXMV, did not work as a model for sending people invites to join a Discord <laughs> server. So we we had to brand it and we branded it the C3 Collective, which stands for our values, you know, community culture. What are your values? Yeah. Community, culture, and charity. Great. I love yeah. that. What that partnership became is really no different than what it was from the beginning, but it got so much more spelled out over time in terms of like what we could offer, what we wanted to offer. And 
you know, over the course of six months, I kind of realized two, when you talk about gaps was your question. And I realized two, two very distinct gaps. There's the gap between the education gap, as you say, and I'll, I'll also put time in that gap. So if you have a, a, you know, very knowledgeable real life artist, like take Kevin Caso, for instance, um, they, and a huge following, passionate following. Right. And they drop NFTs into the ecosystem that are themselves art, much less all the utility. If they don't spend 20 hours a week in Discord and Discord and on Twitter and on Twitter, if they don't put in all this extra time in this community building in the current ecosystem, like they will not be successful. Yeah, their 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 tokens will just die. Yes, they will not. I mean, they they won't sell at all. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, the you cannot take it for granted the transfer of followers or that the the conversion between Instagram or TikTok and and even Twitter to some extent and actual sales. Mm -hmm. So that was that's kind of you know one gap is this this just capability gap from big name artists that want to enter the space. They actually do want to enter, but yeah. they can't because yeah. they have a fully functional business. That's great. Like they don't, they don't have the time to spin circles in something that they think is not going to work. And it isn't going to work unless they put in the time. Yeah. The other gap, which we were positioned to, to fill was, so when you think about just creators and collectors in the general NFT ecosystem that are already there, you have a bunch of art collectives, pretty much all the art collectives actually that exist there, even that are creator DAOs, they creator DAOs, they focus on raising money through an NFT sale to collectively buy either art they can't afford or at a scale that they couldn't previously afford. And then they, based on obviously how much, how many NFTs you own of theirs or how much you've invested mm -hmm. value proportionally distributed to you. And that model is pretty much everywhere across chains. Yeah. And it's, it's what you see in, on, on Solana with the, the URS and particles DAO, like all these different DAOs and on Ethereum as well. It's, it's this model, right? That model does not in any way connect collectors with creators, which mm -hmm. is key in giving essentially membership to like one of one art, right? Right. Because one of one art will never have the value a board ape has because of that it's not a membership to anything right. so the most famous artists will probably still i mean there's obviously some that have sold for insane amounts but they will always struggle when you buy a pack piece he has five of the or three of the top five selling or grossing nft sales of all time yeah i don't think people know it that's a membership mm -hmm. in every way shape and form to a famous like i oh. you can't access his discord so we need to do that for one of one art. If if art is to be the utility, the utility will also be membership, but we can make it more inherently have that. So and basically you're saying the more utility there is in a token, it really drives the value. Yes. And that ruffles a lot of feathers, especially with one of one art gurus and 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 people mm -hmm. that are very much like art is the only utility, blah, blah, blah. That's great. Great. I think there but, are many utilities. It's there's not there's not just don't have, not just fashion right yeah you don't have to go it alone right if yeah. what if someone bought your your one-on-one -on -one piece of art and to, in your perspective from as the creator all you only put in the same amount of work you made the piece of art you yeah. didn't build this community and make a membership or anything you're part of C, like something like c3 collective but you it's still art is the utility to you but from right. the collector's perspective what they just bought opens this world right. for them. Yes. And so that, and I, I have some, I have friends at a, this company called Anchain, which is a blockchain intelligence company. Um, they, similar to Chainalysis, except way better. And they use their ch chain analysis technology on the NFT space and on Twitter interactions. Oh. And you can see, it's really, really cool. Yeah. You can see the, the islands in just crypto Twitter between collectors and creators in terms of how much they interact right. and that the top collectors, there's these little pockets where like, like crypto punks are green, 
board apes are red. Like they're literally colored because they're of how much influence they have. And you uh -huh. can see that there's a straight line that they've drawn where it's like, these are creators, these are collectors. And here's the <laughs> only interactions that they have. Interesting. So, you so that's another gap. So you're creating a big bridge between those two parties. And at a very small level at first. Um, and, and the, the latter gap that I just mentioned, that's more of a, a pursuit and yeah to fund that pursuit on a base lit foundational like value layer, which a lot of DAOs don't have, it's what the business model is. The business model is solving the former that I mentioned, which is offering, you know, artists and creatives essentially in no touch way to mm. sell NFTs. Um, and it's, it's really about selling their art and selling products or commissioning public art, or there's a lot of different ways, but we are taking on that work because we can do it a lot easier yeah. We have like the resources we've done it before from a technical perspective, from a community management. So we'll have like tiers right now. Everyone's on the highest tier, which is we do everything. Um, <laughs> but as we, well, it's the best because we get paid the most. Right. Um, but eventually there will be tiers as we build that kind of a playbook so they can buy more bite-sized pieces and, and just get certain levels of support. But that is a very immediate and long-term when you think about the the perpetual nature of royalties uh, service that that we can offer and gap we can fill while kind of pursuing, you know, on a different level, this, hey, let's actually solve these, these challenges and these huge gaps in the ecosystem between market participants. Totally. So you've created this DAO to build this community creator platform. Um, who have you been connecting with and how would you describe the culture of the C3 Collective? Yeah, that's a, another another great question. So we, so from who have I been connecting with? I've gone heads, head first into the fashion space. Like when I- Amazing. When the, when everything, yeah. It's, and it's been incredible. And I, cause I noticed that even before the bear market, I was like, when we were kind of looking at, at this real downturn and how it would impact the fashion space, it was like, oh, wait, the money wasn't here before anyways. So it didn't change anyone. And that just shows the authenticity. If people are grinding in silence in the in the shadows for, for no near-term even prospects of profit, you know you're going to have the most authentic interactions possible and that everyone is there for like the right reasons. So I've like totally immersed myself. So definitely connect with the fashion space the most through Fateful Youth. But that being said, for C3, I, you know, it just recently, like very recently emerged even as its own Twitter, kind of emerged from Fateful Youth. We were running things through the Fateful Youth account just for resource constraints. And, and so it just recently kind of split off. And, you know, I laid out the plan for actually launching it as a DAO mm -hmm. um, and, and bringing people in to make those decisions. And because all these projects aren't DAOs, but C3 is a DAO, right? It, it makes DAO. So it's a very interesting kind of dynamic that I got to design. And I think from an interactions perspective, the kinds of conversations I'm having and what I'm focusing on is and I'm very happy with just a couple of recent people that I would consider what I call power members of a DAO. Power yeah. members are worth 20 to 100 normal members, depending, no, no joke, because people join DAOs for the stamp and like yeah. to get a possible token allocation. To, to get someone that is willing to work for in the immediate term free yeah, is, is an art and there has to be benefit for them and their mission it has some to be a value and mission some core values that they really align with yes yeah so that those are the conversations i'm seeking out is mm. how do i have how do i spread this smartly in in the broadest sense but very targeted at individuals that are going to care so i stood up a dow twitter space where we learn about and this is the first twitter series c3 itself is hosting and we talk about Really, it's a conversation. So there'll be education that I do in the beginning, but the point of it is, and what I've said is, I know because I personally know them, that all the DAO alpha lives in the minds of the ethogs and the gigabrains that are implementing their ideas. Mm -hmm. And 
it does not get shared with us. It doesn't matter if we're dating those people. It doesn't matter if we're like in any way know them. We don't get to know. We get to sit here and struggle and try to figure it out and recreate the wheel. And (laughs) we're not coming together to solve these issues, right? I can teach Dow infrastructure and all this stuff all I want, but this is a conversation. It's a debate right now. Yeah. And so that is, I'm fostering those debates. And in the process of doing so, you obviously meet some pretty cool people. Yeah. So, you know, we're seeing the rise of DAOs right now. You know, we're still in their very early stages. Tell us more about DAOs, like the structure, tokenomics, the whole ownership model, governance, you know, what your roadmap looks like for C3. I'm actually standing up three DAOs right now. Wow. Okay. Someone's ambitious. It's, uh, I did not choose this. Uh, I feel like it was, it was like, oh, okay, well, there's three DAOs. You go for essentially if, because people, most DAOs aren't DAOs, first off, they are for profit in a lot of sense, or like they, they aren't structured as a DAO. They offer, they're a project that offers governance utility. Mm -hmm. It was a better way to classify them because being a DAO implies certain infrastructure constraints, I would say, and governance is not just a couple votes at certain times. It's a, being a DAO means you've taken your values and your mission and your SOPs and your processes and everything about who you are as a business. Yeah. And you've written it into code. On a smart contract on the bus. Yes. Yep. And that is what being a DAO means. And that is very, very rare to find. There are some amazing examples, but again, you don't really get to talk to those people. I get to read reports that come off of them, but yeah. from a, let's, let's have a discussion. It's very, very difficult. And, and there's also no problem with not being a DAO and having the, right. Like every it's yeah becoming a DAO is a whole spectrum. Like right now, C3 technically is not a DAO. It is. I like that you said it's a spectrum because everyone, yeah. if there's no one size fit, there's no right or wrong for the DAO because the DAO can vote and choose and agree to a set of values, to a set of operating procedures, to, you know, the treasury and how things are, are, you know, managed and maintained. So it, it really is a spectrum. Yes. And, and there's no, and, and don't, don't, think that me say it's it's not like an official DAO is even a bad thing, right? Like everyone's on the right track. At least they're trying. And at least they're bringing people into these conversations and giving ownership to these people. Like everyone's doing it right. And no one knows like the real right answer. It mm-hmm. just needs to be understood because obviously there are projects out there that hide under the guise. But in general, it's more about the process of moving towards what I'll call full DAO migration Mm-hmm. which is what we'll do when I officially like sign over the multi-sig wallet. I make the wallet multi-sig. There's no one person in charge. Mm-hmm. Everything is voted on. All your infrastructure is stood up. Explain multi-sig to some of the listeners who might. Oh yeah. This. So super simple terminology that can make you sound really smart um, is it just means that there's multiple signatories on any one wallet. So if you think about your MetaMask wallet, every time you do a transaction, if you buy an NFT on OpenSea or any other transaction swapping tokens, you have to click approve and sign from your account that you made that transaction. Mm-hmm. All a multi-sig is, is saying that these three people or two people at a minimum, but it can be a lot more. Everyone or certain percentage has to sign every single transaction. Mm -hmm. It's like a shared wallet. It's like a shared bank account, essentially. Yes. Yeah. It's a decentralized shared bank account. And, Mm -hmm. and, and obviously that was one of the first kind of DAO infrastructure things that needed to be created because one, one person can't be in control of all the money. And <laughs> yes, so, we need accountability here. Yes. Yeah. And so the checkbox, like first, um, which is funny because when you're in, in terms of down migration, like that's actually one of kind of the last things that gets done, which is really funny and, and not necessarily wrong. If you start something and you're creating something, it's, it's a lot to no longer be in control of the, the, the flow of money or the handling of money. There has to be a lot of processes in place and systems and people around that to mm-hmm. ensure that 
the people that are elected to take those roles and to be responsible for signing certain transactions. That's how everyone gets paid. That's how the token is allocated. It's everything. And so it's generally the last thing that happens. And that would be kind of like more full down migration type stuff. But yeah, so I think that, you know, in terms of C3 Collective, it's incredible to stand it up because I'm doing so in comparison with two other DAOs, the raw DAO, which is the physical to digital DAO and one that you talk to, the fashion DAO. Mm -hmm. And I am, I pretty much work very, very closely with Nico slash my work even with Nico on, on her actual thing. So I have a very close relationship with, with Nico. It's incredible. Yeah. It's, and I was, you know, in the fashion DAO from day one, pretty much like run operationally most things um, from like the finance and tech committee, education committee, stuff of that nature. So, and, and specifically the, to- I'll be doing the tokenomics for, for both raw DAO and the fashion DAO. Yeah. And, and, but I also get to see how governance from the very early days are managed and hierarchy and, and the lessons learned and things of that nature. And, and then standing up to C3 in conjunction with that, like checking my, my, I guess, opinions that became kind of that dr- drive my decision-making yeah. in terms of what I'm implementing, what tech stack, what, what I'm bringing people into and in, as far as like influence in, in decisions and what I'm not, because again, like this isn't, it's not a DAO yet. Mm-hmm. I'm telling people the tech stack we're using, unlike the fashion DAO, well, fashion DAO is moving in that direction, but I'm telling people the tech stack that we're using. And once we start using it and we're, you know, down the road, we can vote, we can change. We're not a hundred person bureaucracy. We're not the military. We're not anything that we're not locked into this and everything very modular. So we don't need to be scared about, we just need to go. We need to do something. It's a living and breathing organization that will just continue to evolve over time. And, you know, the, all the things can be voted upon. So you're not locked in stone from day one. And that's, that's the beauty of, of this DAO because it's owned by the collective, the voices of the members are actually heard and those votes actually matter. Yeah. And, 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 and I think the really important thing is that they matter, but in a very, and what a lot of DAOs are realizing, and that was a very unpopular opinion when I initially had it about hierarchy of decision-making, just because you're a DAO and you're decentralized does not mean it's a flat hierarchy organization doesn't have to mean that mm. there are a lot that choose to go that route right and struggle very very hard right. um and and it there have been success stories ethereum to some extent but look how slow things move uh-huh. um, yeah we're just very behind but it, it's it's a struggle and it will always be a struggle as as especially when you're standing something up, there have to be decision makers. In the beginning of a DAO, I feel like you need some strong leaders and co-leaders and co-ralliers to set the vision. And then once the DAO is established, then it could be more like just autonomous, right? But in the beginning, someone has to be the champion of it at the start. Yeah, and, and, and that's the thing is, and when we talk about a spectrum, as you move away from kind of it being centralized to giving more of these decisions, like essentially power to the community. If you think about a startup, how long a startup has to have strong decision makers is a long time. Yeah, And you can be completely 100% decentralized and still have a hierarchy. You elect people into positions and you and certain votes are routed through certain people Certain people have certain signatory if tasks were yeah. completed in DAO infrastructure tools. So there's yeah. very good tools now. Exactly. Yes. And and a lot, everyone is working through that right now because everyone is backpedaling and going, whoa, 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 whoa. Everyone's trying just, to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. We can't, we can't just all day one sit there and be going as a group, every decision, like, let's put it to a vote. Let's put it to a vote. Half of yeah. us don't even know what we're voting on. Like, so it's really just becomes who is the best talker. And can convince everyone of what to vote when that's not the way to go. So it's it's mm-hmm. funny and it's really cool to watch everyone come to those realizations and say, okay, because everyone's really working through the hierarchy in a decentralized sense. Right. 
how can people overthrow or how how do we make this as low of a barrier to decisions being made by the community while also having people be able to execute on things frankly as a member i don't even need to know about i don't want to know there's a lot yeah. of stuff that shutting yourself off from information like is, is <laughs> yeah yeah exactly just handle it handle it i trust you yes and so that elected you into the position because we trust you to run operations or a creative or whatever the role is yeah here's the extent to your power here's how it can be taken away here's the kpis that you have to perform against and if you don't you're automatically removed that can all be codified and so that is very important i think and and something that i mean that's the biggest thing i think there is to work on second only to tokenomics yeah what do you think are the benefits of running an organization as a DAO as opposed to a traditional org? This is probably my favorite question because a lot conveying the importance of DAOs is extremely important. And, you know, how I like to talk about it because it's the same story I give people when I'm trying to convince them why DeFi is important is really you have in in, in the world in all economic and social and political actually interchange you have three things you have or three i guess groups you have things mm -hmm. money and people mm -hmm. the people need the money to buy the things right? right in a global sense so they need to be able to exchange that money so that they can buy things they need to be able to and they have to run this system of money thing exchange because they're the ones that need it and they're the ones that use it mm -hmm. NFTs give us the first opportunity that humans have ever had to irrefutably in a trustless environment assign ownership to anything, anything. Yeah. We can now, even if you live in a different country, I don't trust your ruler. It doesn't, it does not matter who you are. I we can all come to an agreement that you own something, right? Yeah. And that can be anything. Perfect. Thing, question is like solved. That's why as a technology, NFTs might be the most important technological like advancement evolution, advancement that that we, we've come across. Money and the exchange and what we all agree has value and how we're going to value these things, that's DeFi. Mm -hmm. And the exchange of that money in a decentralized environment that you know is is transparent and immutable, all those things all fall into the that money category. So who's gonna run it? someone still has to run it. So we're doing all these great decentralized things. We now have decentralized identity or decentralized things, which include, can include identity. We have money that we can trade without any centralized power. Everyone can agree. Someone has it or doesn't have it. We can invest it. That's all great. But if it's not, if that whole system is not managed also- by people. In a, yeah, by people in a decentralized environment mm -hmm. where- all that stuff is coming on to each function of that society is coming on to a decentralized entity that's making sure that that exchange happens. Yeah. Then blockchain is a cool technology. Like, and it, it's probably going to be, it'll be successful as a, as private blockchains, like distributed ledgers have value, sure. but that's all it will be. So because it the, requires the, mass adoption from the people for it to actually create like yes and we'll get a lot of value on the way there but that's you know a long way to say that DAOs and you know the offering of products and services just as we do in everyday life but in a decentralized manner and as a replacement to the business model now I still I don't think we'll fully replace centralized entities but in the pursuit if you believe in decentralization if you believe in any one of those categories yes. you have to believe in the success of the DAO model which is also why I'm so passionate about making it better and improve like oh doing I mean, that's the whole reason I'm doing this podcast yeah educate the world yeah. about DAOs I yeah. want to see DAOs like yours succeed yes and and I, I appreciate that and there's luckily it's 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 hard to fail when you haven't taken money from an investor, you haven't, you are, and that's why I've, this has been a very slow role is, you know, and especially with like the opportunities we have with Hibikozo and with either all these projects that we've brought on so far, these were personal 
freelance projects that I was going to work and build small teams for and run for these people. So mm-hmm. I essentially said, wait a minute, if there's a community willing to do this, like we can make this, this, but if, if the community is not really there on the other side and it's not going, I haven't, we haven't reached a point and I can't get the support such that that value can be brought back in, then I'm just going to go this other route. So it's very hard for, you know, groups like our release or the fashion out too, and raw doubt the, all our groups in the category of we're working towards defining what success looks like. C3 kind of has that, but especially in these more broader category DAOs, what success looks like, but failure looks like, you know, we're failing every day. We're here to fail and retry, fail and retry. And, and, and that's a really cool thing is that DAOs in that category and a lot of DAOs that are standing up are in a place where it is pure learning. And I feel like value in what they're adding just by existing. Yeah, let's talk about failure for a second. You know, Sarah Blakely would, used to share that, you know, growing up, her father would ask around the dinner table, every child, what did you fail at today? Because there's a lesson, there's a value, there's something to be learned. It's not something to be shunned or to be frowned upon, but, you know, every quote unquote failure come, comes with a valuable lesson. What are some failures in the eyes of society that you've come across but you've come up on the other side and have, you know, gleamed a lesson or or a gem from from your experience. C three has a lot of uh, a lot of failure ahead of it. It's pretty pretty new as far as its DAO efforts. But Faithful Youth is no uh, no stranger to failure and overcoming failure and you know checking if this is you know, something worth doing and something worth pursuing. And if it is, is it in this, in the current form in which it's in? And so that has driven in essence is, you know, the reason C3 is the way it is and has driven a lot of lessons that can be assumed to be just as much as part of the DAO as, as if it had been around for since last December. And I think that we did not do enough community building. We did not do, and I, we are way too early for, what was happening in the space, what was happening in the market. So timing was off, team size, mm. you know, support level. There were a whole bunch of, you know, faculties that we didn't have that I frankly didn't think we needed in place to sell a 800 supply collection, 400 on each chain. Really, even from being in the space for years at the time, didn't mm. think that, didn't think it was necessary. There's enough, you know, even my following and I talked to, and there was enough interest that we heard like ourselves that we really didn't need to like focus on that. And mm-hmm. we were so wrong. Right. Commu- community is the heart of everything, especially. Yeah. And community also, we focused on like onboarding very heavily. Well, that's great. And if you're a bunch of your friends and people you've onboarded come into the space and, and buy your NFT, you think they're going to sit in discord and hype people? Like, are they going to like, no. they're not going to touch discord. No, I mean, you can get them in Discord. They're going to support you because they love you. They're going to yeah. the community because of the people, not because of, you know, some, some app that they can download. Exactly. And like the, and the, the community hype and the energy, like if it's in, already in the discord and you drop, you bring a new person in and kind of drop them in, then they can love it and they'll, then they'll get into it, but they're not going to, they're certainly not people to like look to, to start that. Right. And so that was another huge hindrance. So it's like, okay, yeah, we've made these sales, but where are those people? Like who, we didn't have the people that are going to go raid Twitter posts. Yeah. Even with buyer and like a decent amount of buyers. So that brought us to a real grinding halt because I had, I completely overlooked that and did not factor in like, just from my experience is, you know, factoring in the marketing effort push needed up front. And mm-hmm. then really what you can kind of back off on and lean into the stakeholders doing naturally because they invested in terms of like promoting and raising awareness and showing up to things. And so I would say that, you know, just that handling, you know, taught me so much about what, what makes a project successful. And, you know, ultimately, and if we want to be very, just very specific, like lesson learned, like actually not high level, if I was to do another project, or if I was like, of any size i'm actually consulting for this one really cool ocean conservation project i was like oh boy it's a charity project i was like i well 
here's how I would do it is, I mean, the whole thing is through partnerships. Yes. And, and it was actually a really interesting conversation in context with um, the, the team you're working with on the issuing tax write-offs, because, you know, if you have a value prop, you can take to a project and make a partnership with them. They'll have to be doing raffles in their project to see who gets to buy your thing. Right. And right. you can essentially take all, like you put it all. And if you don't get this number of projects, you keep pressing until you do, or you rethink your strategy. So you're, you've burned down all your risk before you really hit the market or most of it. And, and it, it's also a proof of need, right? Well, yeah. It's uh, a great way to test the market. Yeah. Partnership. So yeah. that is the route I would take. And I can say that's like a hard, that's a hard and fast lesson. Then you have the bigger lessons, like that's how right. you deal, deal with failure personally, how you deal with uncertainty and doubt. And I don't know if you've read J um, Jordan Peterson's 12 rules for life, but the first rule is, you know, stand up straight with your shoulders back and talks about lobsters. Ooh, okay. <laughs> and, I'm with my shoulders back now. Yeah. The, it is all about, it's all about confidence. And it talks about how lobsters actually, and they're very similar to humans in that, when you're defeated, if you go to battle and you lose, it actually makes you less capable to win the next battle from a chem like a brain chemical perspective. Right, right. So overcoming being a small lobster, it was one of the biggest thing. Like, how do you perform? How do you act? How do you keep going when you are not mentally equipped to do so? Mm. Recognize that. And, yeah. and I think that that those are invaluable lessons that, you know, I carry with me and the people that were involved bring with them to the table every day. And just the Definitely. perseverance is, and, and the motivation that an impact a single person, you know, you're trying to market to so many people and, and have such a reach when one person can make all the difference. Wow. One person. Well, you mentioned community. I want to know what do you think is the heart of building community, right? Since it's such a core, you know, need in, you know, beyond the tools, you know, it's really the people behind it, the genuine connections we build, the tribe with the shared values and goals and aspirations. And, and when those humans come together, that power of the collective is stronger than the self. So tell me more about the community that you're building and what do you think is the heart of it? So the heart is definitely the purpose mm -hmm. that you all share. You're not only on a similar wavelength, but everyone shares a passion. And yeah. typically that's a passion for something that's wrong, right? Because that's driving change. Yeah. And they're there. It's driving them to want to change something and work towards that. And so in the sense of C3 and one of the reasons that waited so long for it to come out as, you know, its own DAO and really, you know, try to build members and define what all this is, is because we needed to find and get people that one really, you know, bound that purpose. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I finally think that we've done that. Wow. And as as we've gotten in the past just couple of weeks, yeah, like a couple people that are so, so passionate about, you know, the ability to enable creators leveraging joint efficiency, like joint resources and the efficiency oh, yeah. created. I mean, why not collaborate? You're going to literally double your following. And yeah, exactly. Every project you bring on could add how many people to your community. So if you brought another, another project on, they're dropping into a community of already exists, right? Yeah. It's, growing. it's not that much effort. Yeah. Yeah. It so a lot of sense, everything you're describing here. Yeah. And it's, it's, thank you. And it's, it's, it's good to see people so passionate about it. And like, also it's, you can tell when a community is, when they're latching onto those things and what's really going to make them strong is like, we have an yeah, idea yeah, incubator. Yeah, yeah. We have a public and private one in our discord and seriously, I've had to like rein it in, like rein it in. I was like, okay, this is awesome people. Like, but we cannot spend the entire community call, like, like solely pretty much pitching me on their like 
they are great ideas or I, <laughs> I have posters. I post stuff in there to hold the ideas. Um, but it's really cool because what it allows me to internalize and like changes the kind of go forward plan and roadmap for the DAO is like, okay, well, you know, what we probably need is that when we're, so we have, we'll be paying, paying for completing tasks in a beta token that will, when we launch our token, convert one-to-one. But in the near term, the beta token has immediate value in governance and voting through mm-hmm. the platform called Upstream. Mm-hmm. And Upstream, you have to vote on everything. It, you pretty much have to, de- it's like a DAO in a box. You have to define everything, even things you wouldn't think of, infrastructure stuff, because you have to set it up such that people can come on and all the proposals are made within parameters. So you set it up once, you can change those, but they have to be voted on. Everything after that has to be voted. Mm-hmm. You have to vote every single member to get an account with Upstream. Goes to a community-wide vote. And so it's it's really cool. It's, it's like focused on tokens and governance, which is awesome because it gives immediate value to, if someone cares about mm-hmm. the mission and how yeah. DAO resources are being allocated, Definitely. it's going to give immediate value to that beta token in this sense. When we when it's part of no liquidity pool, there's no money tied to it yet. It's like a tracker almost, but it has value. And, and so seeing all these ideas and how passionate people are about, oh my gosh, like we have this technical capability and we have, we have, yeah. we have all these minds. I want to pitch this idea. Well, okay. You know, there needs to be mechanisms in place where people are voting for how we manage resources, right? Yeah. In, in addition to what we're, we've already kind of planned, but this clearly has to be like an important part of what we're doing because this is really what's firing people up. And it's all within lines of of our values and our, our general roadmap. Um, so giving them that capability to, to be owners and impact the future of C3 has been one of the biggest, like I think what's brought people and, and power members in yeah, no, that's incredible. Well, now that this DAO is formed, uh, what would you say are the long-term goals of the C3 Collective? Um, do you plan to be more of a platform curator? Are you also obviously building some projects of yourself? And how do you see these projects getting funded? I think that's a question that a lot of people are interested in. Yeah, great question. So the where I see myself is, you know, I, I want to be in a place where I can experiment with utility on the fringes of the creator economy and essentially, you know, build out the supply chain use case, but for fashion designers where they're pre-selling essentially NFT futures of clothing lines to crowdfund this expensive scanning technology that we're offering them, um, that we're working on making cheaper and more efficient, but like those kind of implementations that are very, very, you know, for niche artistic mediums, which we're already, you know, targeting and and that kind of bounds, bounds us and actually gives us really important kind of scope because it attracts certain people that are really interested in like more innovative and leaning forward. So Mm -hmm. I, I want to be in a place where C3 is and have a lot of motivation to get it to a place where it is pretty self-sustaining in the sense of it does have that the governance mechanisms and the voting mechanisms and the the people in place that are 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 guiding certain functions moving forward and i can take even if it's a very you know even if it's still a high level role i can i can really like experiment with like that that really excites me and and c3 sets up the platform and you know doing that long term and having a place where you can do that. And it, that's like not only allowed, but, you know, encouraged, enabled, encouraged. Yeah. Is, is, is really exciting. And I think that that would open, you know, it just makes it the open-ended in terms of, of what you can create and what you can do. I, for the funding question, that's a, a great one as well. So generally, and that's also a hard one because so for, like currently the projects that we took on faithfully is going out for funding for the, the, the fashion use case. And, but the like ether 11, which is the luxury jewelry brand and Hibikozo, these are, and one of the reasons that it was so interesting to me, not only in what they do and how they, cause I always like, why are, why are, why do you want to sell NFTs? Mm-hmm. Open-ended question. Never had a conversation with them. 
but I just need to hear the answer. And I've said no a ton of times to tons of artists. And what's really incredible is the best answers I've ever heard to that question was they didn't know anything about the space, nothing. And what they said could have been a Web3 pitch. Wow. Is it, it it's incredible. And that's also how I take like consulting clients. Like I'm not doing Dow origination and, and building this unless you're, and I don't need to tell you anything about the space. You don't need to use any words about the space. Why? Why? Oh, that is so important. And if you can't answer that question, then we're, I, we're not building to build and we're not doing things for no reason. So, so that was really important to bring in and, and, but also important was that these were already established businesses. So they, they, they're not going out to fund. We're not essentially, we're not launching collections for people or these like 10 K projects. We're not launching a a psychedelics anonymous project or this project. We're, we're launching individual artworks like heavy Kozo or very small scale, uh, more one-of-one type art. Now, it has utility. We're experimenting with utility and there's all these cool things that we're doing around it, but the funding for each project isn't something we've really talked about yet because it's not really a goal of ours. Now it's going to, it will be awesome, but don't want to put these restrictions on when we do launch a full token. So that depending on the route we go, the funding for that whether that's because you can consider people that invest in an ICO or whatever, that's funding. If that money can be used in the eco, the economy and ecosystem that's created and there's a whole, you know, incentive structure, there's also going to be an NFT membership sale and that that kind of drives when I was talking about the the second gap with the creator and collector, um, the member, the DAO membership, uh, the clearances, essentially all the money that goes to those will go towards that effort and not towards this like um, Dallas stuff. It'll go towards like buying art and incentivizing that connection between the collectors and creators. Yes. So the the money that C3 would be raising would be through a token sale. And it would be amazing to have a system designed such that and, and be moved in the direction of being able to provide that funding ourselves if yeah. it was voted on, because that would be really cool. That's incredible. I love what you're doing to connect the creators and the collectors and you're shaping culture. I mean, that's that's what you're doing through these projects. So um, how can people join the DAO? How can people follow the C3 Collective? Yeah, absolutely. So we are, it's super open Discord. We just stood up the Twitter, as I said. So the, the Twitter is just at C3 Collective underscore, but it will come up. We're also on LinkedIn it's I think the only C3 collective it, it comes up pretty pretty quick you can also go to creator creators collective.xyz so that that routes like C3 collective does too and and from there we have like all the information on you know the discord is insanely built out very very heavy on Incredible. on information first because it was before we had the website and it was very confused we had to make it very clear this is Faithful Youth, this is MetaVoicers, this is Ether 11. It's also very minimal Discord. So it's used for like operational conversations, which I think bounds it. This isn't a hype project. So if you if you want to be on the next hype train, it's not the place to be. Um, <laughs> right. if, you want, if you want to make an impact and do really cool stuff and, and, and have conversations with super interesting people and learn. That's another thing I haven't, man, I thought this would be way more of a selling point. I think I just need to work on my pitch, but you know, to me, the prospect of being involved in Dow origination proceedings is invaluable. I mean, I was always told if you want to learn about the blockchain space, join a Dow. Just put in the work, join a Dow. You'll learn to you'll learn everything you need to know about swapping tokens and NFTs and everything. And I didn't listen. I was like, I'll go out and struggle along on my own, reading individual papers, like <laughs> not not learning by doing. And I don't even know where I would be today if I had actually just listened and joined yeah. DAO. Well, because you learn so much faster with the community, right? This is yeah. why we go to class. We have school, we have peers, we have people to bounce ideas off of. So I'm here saying to people learning. like a huge, like we are offering, you know, and, and DAOs with like a business model and assets to sell, like things to do, right? We're not just spinning wheels. 
Um, there's things to do and we need help to do it. And on top of that, you're going to be one of the most highly skilled, like of the entire labor force, right? Yeah. Anyone that can put tokenomics engineering and claim that title while requirements are low, we will get you there. We'll be like the most highly sought after job. I, cause it's, Token tokenomics engineering is going to drive organizational design yes. because of how powerful it is and the incentive mechanism in the game theory. So first heard yeah. on this podcast. Okay. We're creating yeah, no, it's just so it's so it, it's so powerful. It opens so many doors. And at the very least, you know, you'll learn something new and something will sound exciting somewhere else and it will vector you in a direction you want to go yeah um and so i i can definitely say that this collective offers you the opportunity to really dive head first in the no risk environment you can't yeah. fail personally there is no such thing yeah right that's why we're all here so if, if that appeals to you then it's it may be something to check out that's amazing. Well, you answered the last question about what's your advice to people who are just getting into Web3. Yeah, that would be it. Join a DAO. Yeah, just join a DAO. Well, what is your personal motto that you live by or a quote that you want to leave us today? Yeah, so I've only had one since I ever first heard that question and it still applies today and I've never needed a new one. There's no such thing as overachieving. There's only underachieving and meeting potential. Ooh, I love that. Yeah, so I pretty much live by that my my whole life when everyone would call me an overachiever in like high school and stuff. And like my parents would tell me that. I don't know where they got it. They definitely didn't come up with it, but I like that quote. I love that quote. It's like, it shouldn't be a bad thing, right? People say, oh, you're such an overachiever because I get that a lot too. And I want to- I, There's I no such that. thing. There's no such thing. And I, I wear that with a badge of honor because I get to define what that means. Yeah. Yep. Love it. Well, thank you so much, Kelly, for being part of this podcast. I loved our conversation. I love what you're building, bringing creators and collectors together, shaping culture. Super excited to hear more and to stay in touch and to see what else the C3 Collective, you know, unfolds. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's an honor to be here. And yeah, I'm excited for future conversations we have. And yeah, excited for anyone that's interested to to join in and we can all learn together. So I, yes. I appreciate you. Learning and growing together in Web3. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us this week on season one of The Dow Factor. Follow The Dow Factor on Twitter and YouTube to watch videos of our podcast, where we'll be dropping a new video every week featuring key leaders of DAOs, community builders, and leaders in Web3.